Welcome to Wellversed, where we bring biblical principles of governance to governmental leaders and you. This is the Wellversed podcast. The theme is about encouraging many of you to, who have not considered it before to run for office. Let's go to that videotape from yesterday with Dave Barton, and then we'll go live to Ammon Ross in just a moment. David Barton. We're so delighted to have David Barton on with us right now. David's a friend. He and I had the privilege of co-authoring a book called This Precarious Moment uh, together. In fact, if you'd, if you'd like that book uh, for a donation of any amount, uh, we'd love to send it to you. This Precarious Moment, it really is a tremendous outline of the six things that will help save you, your family, and your country. This Precarious Moment by David Barton and myself. Uh, David is the kind of guy who needs no introduction. So that being the case, he's America's historian. I'm going to jump right into him. David, I want you to talk into the talk about the issue of why people should run for office. Why should they care? Why should they activate? Thank you, David. We turn it to you. Well, people should run for office, but particularly godly Christian people, church leaders, uh, those those in faith positions should run. I mean, anybody can run for office. Lots of people do, but because really people with our worldview don't we rarely get policies that reflect our worldview now so that's why proverbs 29 2 say when the righteous rule the people rejoice and the wicked rule the people groan i'm going to give you some more verses on that but the whole concept of people of faith christian people evangelicals intercessors pastors getting involved in office has been pretty pretty anathema since the 60s now prior to the 60s it was not uh, even the guys who signed the declaration of independence 29 of them uh, graduated from schools with, with Bible school degrees. They, they came out of schools that trained ministers. A number of the Signers Declaration were ministers. A number of, of ministers were among those in the first Congress who, who wrote the Bill of Rights, including the First Amendment. So th there's a lot to point to there, but we haven't seen that kind of involvement from the church at least since the 60s. So, and, and kind of going into why this is right, I want to go back into history, show some examples from history give some explanations and hopefully change our mindset because the thing that hurts us most right now is our mindset. Proverbs 23, seven says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And we have wrong thinking and therefore wrong actions, or at least I believe the wrong actions. So I'm gonna hit some slides. I'm gonna start with Dr. Benjamin Rush. Now, Dr. Benjamin Rush is a signer of the Declaration of Independence. And Benjamin Rush, uh, this guy is what we would call uh, an evangelical using modern day language. Uh, he started the first Bible Society. He started the Sunday School Movement. He uh, started the first Abolition Society. John Adams said he's one of the top three founding fathers uh, for most, most notoriety. John Adams said it's George Washington, Ben Franklin, Benjamin Rush. But Benjamin Rush is also called the father of public schools under the Constitution. And he literally started five universities. Uh, he started all sorts of educational things that we still use today. But this is the piece that caused him to be called, called the father of public schools under the Constitution. It's called On the Mode of Education, Profit, and Republic. And it, he simply said, look, we used to be 13 different nations. Now we're one nation with 13 states. So what are we going to have to teach in our schools to make sure that we stay a nation? And so this is where he laid out what schools need to be teaching. It's interesting. He said the first thing public schools are to do, public schools are to teach students to love and serve God. He said, next, number two, public schools are to teach students to love and serve their country. And number three, public schools are to teach students to love and serve their state. Now, 
or, or, or their family, excuse me. So this is the way that public schools were started. This was their intention. This was their overview. But if you look at that priority, most Christians today would say, no, I don't think I really agree with that. Um, for me as a Christian, I think it's God and then his family and then his country because the family is so important. And that's exactly why he put the country above family. He said, no, it should be God. It should be country. It should be family. Because he pointed out that if you ever lose control of your country, it will become the great enemy of your family. And what we're seeing right now, all the anti-family attacks that we have uh, that are coming at us is because we don't have our people in civil government and therefore policies are coming through trying to completely undermine what the traditional family has been. We see that especially in the last 18 to 24 months with what we see in public schools. Uh, virtually everything coming out of public schools as we're seeing now is, is pretty much a cesspool of society. Uh, this is what's caused us to question our, our form of government, our economic system, our, our, our genders. It's caused us to question everything under the sun, which is why in the last 18 to 24 months, we've seen school boards become such a local issue. So many people are starting to focus on school boards and saying, you're, you're teaching what to my kids? You're counseling my kids to do what? You have what in the library? And as parents find out, they're getting involved. Now, they're pretty much ahead of the church on this, which is unfortunate, but it's a lot of Christian parents that have had enough. So when you look at where we are with that, we have the point where we say, okay, America's really messed up. We need a revival, we're praying for revival. I think we're gonna have real problems with this because I don't think we're gonna know when our prayers are answered for a simple reason. And, and I think the major problem we have is we're obsessed with the national focus. And it doesn't matter whether you're left or right, everybody gets national news. If you're on the right, you're gonna to listen to Fox, or you're gonna to listen to Victory News, or you're gonna to listen to The Blaze, or Epic Times, or Newsmax, or something on the left, it's CNN, it's MSNBC. But the deal is we know a lot about what's going on nationally because we watch national news. You have never heard a story about Scotts Bluff, Nebraska, or Jacksboro, Texas, or Yukon, Oklahoma, or, or Waterton, New York. We know a lot about what's going on in Congress. We know a lot about the Supreme Court, and we know a lot about the White House. As a matter of fact, all of us can tell, tell more about that than we can about who the local school board members are. Name three members of Congress, you can do it. Name three members of the school board, you can't. Name the president, you can do it. Name the mayor, you can't. So all over the country, we're focused on national things, know a lot about it. We don't know a lot about what's going on around us. And this is the problem because you get healthy from the bottom up. And so because we can't get Congress to do anything, this is where we get really frustrated. We get really angry. Uh, we get really paralyzed because I can't make Pelosi do anything. I can't get Schumer to do anything. Biden won't do anything. The Supreme Court. Yeah, exactly. You're, you start at the wrong level. Uh, if I can take you back in, into the fo local focus, give you two quick examples. One on the scene of the American War for Independence. If you take the first four battles, of the American War for Independence, starting the top right, going around is Lexington. Top left is Concord. Bottom left is Road to Boston. Bottom right is Bunker Hill. It's significant that in those first four battles of the American War for Independence, <laughs> the Americans were heavily outnumbered. But nobody called George and said, hey, George, you're the national commander in chief. We're here at Lexington outnumbered 10 to 1. You got to get us help and you got to get it now. Nobody called George in those battles because the attitude was, it's our community. We'll take care of our community. We need George elsewhere. And there's nearly 80 battles in the American War for Independence and George is involved in very few of them. He was involved in Monmouth and Yorktown and Brandywine, but most of the other battles, they were all local battles and, and they were people fighting their own battles in their own communities. And if I can take you just to the quick one, Lexington, uh, that started, we're told by our textbooks, that what happened was 700 British came to town and 70 Americans went out to meet the British. Courageous Americans, that's not accurate. 
it was 70, 700 British came to town and the church of the Reverend Jonas Clark went out to meet the British and he had 70 men in his church. He had been teaching them what God said about war because they all saw a war coming. He said, if it ever comes, you cannot start anything. You can respond in self-defense, but you can never start anything. And so that's why the British got the first shot that morning. 700 British shooting single shot rifles at 70 Americans with single shot rifles. If we'd had SEAL Team 6, we still would have lost that morning. That's why, because we did not get the first shot, 18 Americans hit the ground that morning. The British were headed to Concord. That was their next stop when they got there. Again, the history books say that between three and 400 courageous Americans went out to face the British. That's not accurate. It was the church of the Reverend William Emerson who went out to face the British. He had between three and 400 members of the church. And they just said, British, you're not doing this. This is our community. We're not gonna let you do this in our community. And they said, by the way, you shot at our brethren at Lexington. So now you've opened the ball. And that's where the first British hit the ground that morning was from, from that battle. The British commander then said, this is not good. I had 70 Americans I faced. I've now faced three to 400. There's only 700 of us. If we don't get reinforcements quick, we're in trouble. That's the third battle, the road to Boston. Uh, they marched 19 miles back to Boston to get reinforcements, but all along the way, Americans are waiting for them. There were 4,500 Americans that lined the roads on both sides, uh, fighting the British as they went back. Now, where those Americans come from, the Reverend Benjamin Bross brought his church out. The Reverend uh, Payson Phillips brought his church out. Again, it was churches saying, this is our community. You're not going to do this in our community. The same when you get the Battle of Bunker Hill. Reverend Joseph Willard said, I got two companies here in the church. So let's go join the other churches and, and defend Boston from the British. That's the Battle of Bunker Hill. So what you see is that throughout that conflict, we, we, had national, we had local victories. But when you have enough local victories, you have a national victory, and that's what happened. So the focus was local on this, but because you had some 80 some odd battles and we won most of them locally, we ended up winning the national battle. Now, we're praying for revival and good for us, but it's the same thing. They, they occur locally. We're praying for national revival. People say, well, we've had national revivals before. We had the Great Awakening. Well, you kind of thought it was a Great Awakening. Let me just historically remind you, George Whitfield is one of the names we associate with the Great Awakening. Whitfield preached 34 years. He preached 18,000 different sermons and 80% of all Americans physically heard him preach a sermon. Now you gotta think about message penetration. Even in the day of big tech, if 80% of all people in America heard a message, that would be unbelievable. But think about back then when they had no big tech. How did 80% of Americans hear him preach? Because he was in 80% of the communities. He got on his horse in Georgia where he was chaplain of the state and he rode to Maine, which was the Northern part of Massachusetts at the time. He rode on horseback from Georgia to Maine and preached in every town he went through. He then turned around and rode back to Georgia, but he rode a different route and preached in every town he went through. He then turned around and went back to Maine and preached in every town he went seven times back and forth, choosing a different route each time. 80% of Americans heard him preach a sermon because he was in that many communities. It's interesting, the people we should look at, now Woodfield's super important, but after the revival broke out in Boston with Samuel Cooper, the local pastor that kept it going for years and years and years. Once it broke out in Philadelphia, it's the Reverend Gilbert Tennant who kept that revival going in Philadelphia for years and years and years. And once it broke out in the, in, in the valleys of Virginia, it was Samuel Davis who kept it going. I mean, these were local revivals and they were kept going by local pastors for years and years and years. And it's not like the whole country knew that Whitfield, where he had been the week before, the month before, the year before. I mean, they just, the communication wasn't that good. It was that many local towns he was in and that's what a, causes a revival. So when you get enough revivals going in local communities, it'll look like the state's having a revival and then the nation has a revival, but it's that many local communities. So 
Now, if you apply that to something as simple as, as getting a local focus on what we're talking about with the elections, let me give you some stats to work with. In the United States, you only have to have two things to vote. You have to be 18 years old and you have to be a legal citizen. That's all it takes. 100% of those who are 18 years old and legal citizens can vote. That's constitutional. We require one more thing, and that is please register to vote because we want to make sure you don't vote seven times or seven people don't vote for you. Right now, we have 65.3% of eligible Americans registered to vote. So we have more than 100 million Americans who said, I don't care what happens in the nation. I'm not going to be part of nothing. And so that's 100 million that have checked out. Now, already that could win a culture war real easy. This could turn the direction of the nation in a heartbeat. But let me show you the two types of elections. The first time elections, what we'll have this November, or excuse me, what we had a year ago in November, presidential elections, this is where you get the highest voter turnout. And for the last 11 presidential elections, 54% is the average voter turnout. Now that's 54% of rich voters, which is 54% of 65.3%, which means only 36% of Americans voted for president, and it takes half of that to win 18%. The election we're going to have this November is called an off-year election. For the last 21 off-year elections, we have averaged 38% voter turnout. That's 38% of 65.3%, which means 26% of adults vote. It takes half of that to choose the winner. So for the last 11 presidents, one out of five Americans chooses the president, and one out of eight Americans chooses our governors, our U.S. senators, our congressmen, et cetera. This is really, really, really low. But when you get to the local community, which is what I've been talking about, this is where it's significant. Your average voter turnout in local races are 6%, but that's 6% of registered voters. 6% of 65% moves it down to only 4% that actually vote of adults, and it takes half of that to win, which is 2%. Let me go, Jim, to your backyard, uh, Los Angeles. Los Angeles, second largest city in the nation. It is larger than 23 states. So the population of Los Angeles is larger than the individual population of 23 states. So if you're Eric Garcetti, the mayor of Los Angeles, it's like being governor in 23 states. Eric Garcetti brags about the fact that he was elected with 2.9% of the vote. Now, 2.9%, and that's like being a governor, that's a pathetic turnout. When you go to Houston, the fourth largest city in, in the nation, um, you had she, the, the city of Houston is larger than 20 state population. And Anise Parker, open lesbian mayor, was elected there. She got 4.9% of the registered vote, which is 3.3% of the city voted. So she, once she got in, she passed what was called HERO, Houston Equal Rights Ordinance. 200 cities have passed this. And she said, hey, if you say marriage between a man and a woman, that's a crime and I'm coming after you. She went particularly after, after um, six pastors there, 16 forms of communication. She subpoenaed. She wanted their text messages, all their emails, all their voice messages, everything. Because if she's found them saying that marriage between a man and a woman, she's, she's going to nail them. She's going to, it's criminal stuff now. So what happened was we got 4,500 churches involved. We got a referendum on it. We got it put on the ballot. The day before the, the ballot vote, the Houston Chronicle did a poll that said, we're going to get crushed. The city's firmly behind her. And so what happened was they said, we're going to get crushed 60 to 40. As it turned out the next day, we had a 14% voter turnout, and she got crushed by 22 points at 61.39. Now, 14%, I will point out, is a pathetic voter turnout, but that's five times larger than what it had been. So simply getting Christians up to a 14% level, we crushed the other side just with a 14% level. Then when you look at something like Fort Worth, it was six years ago that the Fort Worth City Council came out and said, hey, you know, we've decided that in our schools, 
we're going to let kids choose whatever gender they want. So you choose your restroom, you choose your locker room, you choose your shower room. We're, we're not going to do that stuff. We're just, whatever you want to go to, that's fine with you. At that time, the Secretary of Education, Arnie Duncan, for President Obama, picked that up and said, my gosh, why didn't I think about that? And he said, that's a great idea. And he said, so any, any, fed, any school that gets federal funds, which is 97% of public schools, if you get federal funds, you don't do genders. You, you don't choose locker rooms or bathrooms. You just, you don't do that. Now, what really disturbed me was this came out of Fort Worth, and that's my backyard. Fort Worth is known as Cowtown, USA. I am a cowboy from Texas. But I'll tell you, you don't have to be a cowboy. I can put any of you behind that herd of cattle going down Main Street in Fort Worth twice a day. I can put any of you behind that herd of cattle and you can quickly tell which are the bulls, which are the cows and which are the steers. It's easy. You don't have to have a degree. We've never seen a bull become a cow. We've never seen a cow become a, uh, a bull. It, it doesn't happen. And so here out of common sense Fort Worth, Texas, we get this crazy policy that goes nationally. I looked at the city, we're the 13th largest city in the nation, 918,000 folks are in the city. And I looked at where the school board um, superintendent came from. The school board superintendent came out of a district. He was elected with less than 1200 votes. He was elected, as I recall, with a total of 900 and I think it was 1182 votes is what he had. So I looked in his district where he ran and quickly found a Bible-believing evangelical church with 3000 adult voters and that one church could have easily defeated that one candidate for school board and the whole nation would have been spared the gender identity crisis we've had for the last six years. This came out of a local community where a local church could have made a difference in this. They did not. To give you two more examples, Bentonville, Arkansas. This is the hometown of Walmart. It's a town of 40,000 people. A Christian lady there said, you ain't doing this in our town. She ran for school board in that town of 40,000. She won the school board election. There were a total of 35 votes cast she got the majority of the 35 in a town of 40,000. Last example I'll give you on this and we'll move on is Riceville, Iowa. Uh, a farmer up in Riceville, Iowa said, you're sure not doing this in my town. He, got, he, he ran for school board, got his name on the ballot, turned out on election day, he got busy and did not vote that day. He was busy on the farm. And don't think that he lost by one vote because that's not what happened. What happened is not a single person voted in that election. Had he voted for himself for school board, he would be on the school board had he just voted for himself. And I can show you examples of that all over the United States where the local stuff is where you make a big change. So that focus, we've seen some of that. I want to give you a good news example. I think we're all aware of what happened in Virginia with the Yonkin two years ago. The governor of Virginia led a standing ovation in the legislature when they said, hey, if a baby survives abortion, you can go ahead and kill the baby after it's born. You can just let it die. And they gave a standing ovation that back in January when Yonkin was sworn in this time, he grabbed his wife's hand and the lieutenant governor's hand and he grabbed the attorney general's hand and spouse, all six of them prayed there. And they stood on the steps of the Capitol and prayed out loud in Jesus' name unabashed. Now that's a real change from celebrating killing babies after they've been born. How did that happen? It happened because of a group called Faith Winds specifically focused on it, found 312 churches that worked with Faith Winds. It was a great thing in Virginia. Got 312 churches focused on. They weren't large churches. They were being, there were a lot of rural churches and other churches. And they said, okay, we got to turn our people out. So they found 77,000 people in those 312 churches that had never before voted, that could have voted, just never had. And they got those 77,000 people to vote for the first time. I'll point out Yonkin won by 66,000 votes. So those 312 churches provided the margin of victory by just getting people who had not voted before to go vote in that election. Second thing is those 312 churches 
First Timothy, the Bible says, um, no athlete is crowned unless he runs according to the rules. Most of the time, we don't know what the rules are. They got 1,300 people out of the churches said, let's train you for poll watchers, for election judges. They had 300 state-trained election, certified election officials, 1,000 poll watchers. They identified 5.2% of the vote as fraudulent. They found one, one guy who registered 27 times, that vacant lot who voted 17 times. 5.2% of the vote. That's another, that's the cause of victory right there. The final thing is they said, hey, in the rural churches, you guys are gonna have to turn out heavy because up in Northern Virginia, near Washington, DC, they're all crazy up there. You guys in the country have a brain, you have to use it. And normally they had a 35% voter turnout. They got a 64% voter turnout in the rural areas. So 312 churches, easy to point to. That's the margin of victory in Virginia is what happened with that. That can happen all over the country. Um, we, we've seen this in races we did. We picked up 78 school board races in Colorado, all local races. Give you some, some headlines here real quick. Canada's opposing critical race theory, COVID-19, when Minnesota school board races, that's a super liberal state, super blue, and yet conservatives took it because school boards are so easy to win because the numbers are so low. Uh, I love this one out of New Jersey, a 19-year-old who saw a senior year disrupted by COVID shutdowns, he unseats the incumbent in the school board race. So this 19-year-old who was denied his senior year said, I'm running against a school board guy who shut this down. He beat the incumbent by 17 points. And 19-year-old, it's glad to, I'm glad to finally have some adults on the school board somewhere. And he's he's the adult on the school board. Then you've got a slate of conservative candidates declare victory in Denver. Uh, you have three or four conservative challenges in Wichita. Now, Wichita's the second most liberal city in Kansas. It's Kansas City, then, then Wichita, liberals. It's conservatives won. The same thing in Treasure Valley, that's Boise, the most liberal city in, in Idaho. Uh, conservatives won big all over the nation. Uh, we completely flipped four school boards in Colorado Springs from liberal to conservative. Uh, Houston, we won the school board races in Houston, a city of 2.3 million people. And we won the school board races with between three and 8,000 votes, depending on which candidate it was. So this is all local stuff. It's all easy to do, but it's because like in Houston, pastors got involved recruited candidates and then turned their churches out to vote for good candidates. So we have these local elections. That's where you get healthiest from local stuff. I'll also point out that what in order to vote for good people at the local level, you have to have good people run. And good pe getting good people to run, there's a parable in Judges 9, 8 through 15. I'll share real quick and then we'll wind this down. But in that parable, Judges uh, 9, 8 through 15, it said the trees of the field came together and they decided we need civil government. I mean, that is an institution ordained by God, Romans 13. We need civil government. And so it says that the trees went out to an owner, a ruler for themselves. It's time, to, it's time to have government in the forest. And they went to the good trees. They went first to the, to the fig tree, uh, to the olive tree. And they said, the olive tree, come be our leader. And the olive tree said, no, nah, I don't think I want to do that. It said, should I give them my oil by which both gods and men are honored to hold sway over the trees? Then the tree said, well, if we can't get the olive tree, let's go to the fig tree. And they went to the fig tree and said, come be our leader. And the fig tree said, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. Should I give up my fruit so good and sweet to hold sway over the trees? And the fig tree and, and the tree said, well, we, we tried the olive tree. We tried the, I, I got it. Let's go to the vine. That's a good one. They went to the vine and said, come be our leader. And the vine said, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. Should I give up my wine? which cheers with God as men to hold sway over the trees. Now notice what we have here is all the good trees have reasons why they can't do it. Kids are still in school. They're too young. I started a new business. I'm just too busy doing stuff. So all the good trees have, have, have reasons for why they can't run. It's interesting to see what happens next in that Bible passage. It says that next, the trees in the field, finally, they, 
all of their options exhausted, they went to the thorn bush, which is not a good choice, and said to the thorn bush, hey, would you come be our leader? And when you know it, the thorn bush wants to be the leader. Thorn bush said, well, if you really want to anoint me leader of you, come take refuge in my shade. Now, how much fun is it to sit in the shade of thorn bushes? And I would argue that we have way too many thorn bushes ruling in America today. And this is the problem we have. We've been saying no for all this time. We're saying no. And, and by the way, it's it's the it's the city, it's a school board member who become the school board president, who becomes a city council member, who becomes the mayor, who becomes the state rep, who becomes the state senator, who becomes the US congressman, who becomes the US senator. Everything starts at the local level. That's the farm team. That's where you build good stuff going up. If we want to see things change up top, you got to get healthy at the local level. That happens with the local church. It happens with the good trees saying, hey, we're going to run. We're, you know, we're, we're not going to let other people get in there. And until we decide to do that, until pastors start telling their, their congregations, guys, this is a ministry. You guys need to step up. We got three open seats on the city council. We got one on the public utility district. We got two on the junior college board or whatever. Until the church starts doing that, electing presidents is not going to make that much of a difference. Oh yeah, we want them and they can do as, you know, as president Trump did with judges. That's great, but that's not solving the school board problem. And that's not solving the farm team problem. And we've still got a really split Congress right now. And even if we win the elections this, this fall, we think we'll win the house and the Senate It's still a split country. And so until we get things fixed at the local level with folks running for office, now, how do you do that? There are very practical steps. We do a lot of training on how to do this. We recruit candidates and train candidates, uh, but that's something that Amnon can tell you more about in, in the next segment. But this is the philosophy of why churches and why Christians have to get involved. If you want a revival, this is part of it. And by the way, that's something that, that uh, Finney, uh, Charles Finney pointed out. And he wrote a book in, 19, in 1835 on how to have revivals. He was a great awakening preacher. Uh, just in the year 1857 to 1858, he personally led 100,000 people to Christ. So it's a big revival, but he pointed out you can't have revival if you don't get involved in politics. And he's the guy who really started the Underground Railroad, who led so much to the abolition movement, et cetera. And you'll find that every revival we've ever had has, has brought significant political changes as a result, as part of that revival. You have to get involved, and that's what he pointed out. So, Jim, back to you. Anything else we need to cover? I was just making a note of some of the reasons that I've heard why people don't run. Uh, they're saying, uh, one is, well, hey, somebody else can, was going to do it. Uh, number two, ignorance. I don't know how to do it. What are the steps for how, how to run? Uh, this yeah. may hurt my business, uh, or I, I simply can't for some reason. I, I just feel like I, I can't do it. I'm not knowledgeable enough about this stuff, or I don't have the capacity to raise the dollars on the funds, or I'm just scared. I'm afraid. Yeah. Uh, what other things would you add to that, and how would you overcome? Well, let me address some of the. Let me address some of those real quickly. That that first one you said, Jim. Just just go through them real quick, one at a time. What was the first one you surely, gave? Surely, let somebody, somebody else do it. Somebody else. Uh -huh. Yeah, and, and we say that all the time. When we see a person drowning in water, we say, "I'm not going to help them. Let somebody else do it." When we somebody see somebody about to get hit by a car, we say, "I'm not going to help them." How crazy is that? We have an opportunity to do good. We're told to do good unto all men, especially those the household of faith. And we're going to say, let somebody else do good. That's crazy. This is a service position. This is why we're called public servants. We're called to be servants first and foremost. And trying to find somebody else to be our servant is a complete cop-out. And so uh, the second thing you said, I don't know much about how to do it. 
That's why we have Galatians 4, 1 and 2. The Bible says that the heir, though he be heir of all, is under tutors until the time appointed by the master. So even though a prince is going to be a king someday, he's under the teachers learning how to do that until he finally gets there. At some point, you just go learn how to do it. And there are all sorts of online schools. It's really easy running for a school board or city council. Or something. Now, if you're going to run for president, oh, man, that takes a lot more training than you're going to get online. But when you're running for local office and you're like that pig farmer, how much training do you need to go vote for yourself and be on the school board? You know, I mean, we're talking low-level races here. It's a, it's a math situation. Just go get the majority of 35 votes in Bentonville, Arkansas. Go get your family to vote for you. Go get your neighbors to vote for you. All you got to do is get there. So it, it's not that hard to learn. There are lots of schools to do that. I've taught a lot of schools for state candidates and running for state Senate and, and Congress, and et cetera. Listen, it, it's really easy at that level, and you can get online curriculum. There's a lot of schools that, that teach as well. Amazon's going to give you some stuff on that, but there's no excuse for not. And, and that, again, that's Galatians 4, 1 and 2. Just get under a tutor and learn how to do it, and then the time appointed master, you're there. You're, you're in leadership. You're a ruler. Jim, what else did you mention? Well, it might hurt my business or it might hurt my reputation in the community. Yeah, and that's really good to be selfish is, is let's, let's care about ourselves first. Man, you're here to be a servant. You're here to serve others. That's why we call them public servants, except when the servants won't run anymore, now we call them public officials because most guys we have in office right now are not servant-minded. So it might hurt your business. That's right. But at some point, we're going to have to get a backbone. I, I, I really, this is one I feel strongly about. I'm going to jump on this for a second. Polling right now shows us that 77% of Christians and traditional value Americans refuse to engage in controversial things because they, they fear they'll be attacked. Now, look, I, I know there's the real heaven. I know there's a real hell. There's no question about that. We get to heaven through Jesus. How do we get to hell? Revelation 21.8 says, well, the liars and the sorcerers and the adulterers and the murderers and all those who do bad stuff, except the start of that list says cowards and fearful. It says the cowards and fearful are the first group that's right in there with murderers, that's right in there with adulterers and, and sorcerers. If we don't get a backbone and stand up and say, you know what, I'm willing like the founding fathers to risk my life, fortune, and sacred honor to do something to, to serve others, to help the nation. If you lose your business as a result, God will bless you for that if you do it for the right reason. And so if you get that servant heart in there and say, it's time for me to step up, it's time for me to get involved, you do that, God will reward that, but we can't have the kind of cowardice we've been having where for fear of losing my business or for fear of losing my reputation or for fear that they'll say something bad about me that we're not engaging. We have got to get past that. What about the, well, I'm not knowledgeable enough. I'm not an educator, so I can't go to the school board. Or I, I, I don't know how to, how to be a, a city on a, on a city council. I, I'm just not knowledgeable enough about our city. I'm speaking in generalizations here. But if you're not an educator, you're exactly the kind of person we need on the school board because you have not been indoctrinated. We need outside thinkers who can come in and say, this is not even logical. What, what do you mean? For example, I think it's Baltimore. The word came out about six weeks ago. 72% of their high school students cannot read above the third grade level, but they keep passing them on. They keep moving them on. So we're becoming more and more illiterate. We, in 1962, we were number one in the world in literacy. Uh, by about 19, uh, I guess it was by 2010, we were number 68 in the world in literacy. That means third world nations have a better literacy rate than we do. We're spending $162,000 of taxpayer money to put a kid through school from K through 12th grade. And you're telling me after 12 years of school, you can't read at the third grade level. We need some non-educators in there. 
Now that doesn't mean every educator is bad, but it means the system is broken. And it's really good to have someone who has common sense and who can use that common sense and come in and say, hey, this is crazy. Why do we keep pouring money into something that's not working? Let's do something different. We need that kind of leadership. And that's the kind of people we really want on school boards is people who will not be yes people because what you're told in school board trainings is now you're here to support the superintendent. You're here to support the teachers. You're here to support the principal. No, you're not. You're here to make sure our kids get a sound education that they can read, that they can do math, that they can know basic morals, that they love their country, that they won't destroy the system that, that has made us great. And those are the kind of people we need. So that's a bad excuse to say, I don't know enough. Again, we're back to Galatians 4. If you don't know enough, go learn. Go get under a tutor until the time appointed by the father. Go teach yourself or go be taught by someone else. But I don't have a lot of money and I don't know how to raise money. Yeah, how, how much money would it take to win a school board race when it only takes one vote to get there? You know, you, you don't do it. Now, the thing is, if you believe that God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory, then you don't worry about that. And people will get behind a good candidate that will make a difference. Uh, you may not be the right candidate every time, and some people won't give, but if you have the right message and, and God has told you to run, he's going to supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. That doesn't mean you don't have to work. I tell candidates that once they decide to run for a race, 90% of their time needs to be spent raising money. That's what I tell state reps and state senate candidates. That's not that way of a school board. School board, you can do a ton by just knocking on the doors in your neighborhood. Again, you, you know, in, in the case of Houston, where we had the school board candidates only needing 3,000, 4,000 votes to get on there, all you got to do is go get connected with a few big churches and say, hey, here's what I represent. Here's the values I have. If you'll turn out and vote for me, I can make a difference on the school board. So it's not money that does it. Now, if you're looking at a presidential race, which again, that's looking national. Stop looking national. Look local. Get down to those local races, city council, mayor, stuff like that. They're a whole lot cheaper and can be done a lot easier and a lot quicker. But don't make excuses. Find a way to solve problems. I'm afraid of having to do media, and I'm also afraid I might lose. Yeah, well, if you're afraid you might lose, then don't walk out of the door in the morning because you might get hit by a car. You might be struck by lightning. You might have anything. You can't let fear dominate your life. You can't let fear of anything. Again, we're people of faith, not people of fear. Uh, you have the confidence. This is all mindset, and that's what we're talking about. This is mindset kind of stuff. And so, yeah, you might lose, but you know what? I know some people who have lost that brought hundreds of workers into the fold and got them involved in campaigns. And a lot of those workers went on to hold office. So it's not about winning or losing. We don't measure things that way. It's about, did you obey God? Did you do the right thing? Did you, did you jump out there and offer service? You may not be the one who wins, but you may get somebody else involved who turns out to be the mayor or the governor or somebody else. So don't use that, that topical measurement of just measuring it by what I see with my eyes. Understand that God does transgenerational things and he affects other people through you. Uh, you, you cast a, a stone into water, it'll ripple out and touch things that you never imagined. Emman Ross is going to give an uh, understanding of how to take training from him. But if people want the training from uh, David Barton or wall builders, how do they get that? Is that primarily for those running for state legislature or for Congress? Yeah, at this point, I don't do as much training anymore as I did. I do a lot more of the political operative work and turning people out. We're involved right now in 80 different congressional races. And so we'll try to see Congress split back this time. Um, and, and so I do a lot at other levels, do a lot at state races. I'm not doing the training like I used to. I send, send with other people that can do that training. 
And uh, Leadership Institute is a good place. If you want to run for a state office, that's a great place to run. There's some really good local uh, school board trainings and local office trainings as well. And so you can get online pretty quick. And a lot of this stuff can even be done with video schools and with, with online courses. So there's stuff out there that, that is good to be used. David Martin, as we close off, what questions should I have asked you that I failed to ask you or final word of exhortation you want to share? Well, I will say, forgive my sarcasm, but this really gets me exercised at times. And so I, you know, I just kind of think of some of the excuses we use and I do make fun of them because I don't think that when you stand in front of God and you say, well, I, I, I was scared that I might lose my business. I don't think he's going to be impressed with that answer. So I, I get blunt at times and forgive me if I was too blunt, but this is something that I think the, the fate of the nation hangs in what we do with these type of decisions right now. And so I'm very exercised over this and very passionate over this. And, and so I don't know that there's any question you didn't ask, Jim, but, but if I came across too harshly, forgive me, but that's how important this is. You did not come across too harshly. You have reason to be exercised about this. Our nation does hang in the balance and uh, we have to take stands like we never have before. This is a crisis moment for our nation. Uh, David, you and I wrote the book, co-authored the book, uh, This Precarious Moment. <clears throat> David's contribution to that book is absolutely staggering. It's an excellent book because of him. I want to offer that book to you for a, for a donation of any amount to wellburstworld.org, wellburstworld.org. Go there, and there'll be a place for you to click on that. And, uh, and, and the, this precarious moment, it's, it's the Wellburst ministry that brings you the World Prayer Network that funds it. And uh, so, David, uh, you want to say anything about this precarious moment? The subtitle is Six Things That Could Save You, Your Family, and Your Nation, Your Country. David, anything you want to say about that book before we close off here? Yeah, you know, we did that uh, a couple of years ago, and the issues are still timeless because as you look, Israel is still a big issue. Immigration is still a big issue. Youth are still a big issue. Next-gen type stuff, Gen Z, millennial. None of that's changed, and we have not addressed those issues adequately, and part of it's because Christians just don't know what to do in those issues. So, now, I think that even though we, we wrote that book just before the election, really kind of pointing stuff out, nothing's changed since that. The church still has to, to come to, to grips with those issues. And so I think it's a timeless book because it has timeless principles in it. This precarious moment, donation of any amount, go to wellburstworld.org, co-authored by Dave Barton, Jim Garlow. This precarious moment, six things that could save you, uh, your, your family, and, and your country. David Barton, thank you so much. For this time with you. Always a joy. Thanks, guys. Always good to be with you. Bye-bye. brother. Bye-bye. And here is that particular book I'm talking about, and you can go to wellversedworld.org if you so desire it. A number of years ago, I was serving as chaplain of a particular political party. I'm not going to say it because I didn't remember what the political party was, but in Tarrant County, it's Fort Worth, Texas. And um, I, I discovered one day that of the 300, I believe there was about 317 precincts in the county at the time, as best I can remember. I suddenly realized that about 110 of them, nobody was running for precinct chairman. I called three buddies, a guy named Danny, one guy, Tom, one guy, Dick. And I said, meet me Sunday afternoon. Uh, Dick, can we come to your house? We came over to his house. We laid maps, enormous maps of the entire Tarrant County on the floor of the living room. We discovered where the 100 and about 110 or so precincts, nobody was running. <clears throat> we called pastors in or near, near there, said, give us the name of one person that lives. And we gave the, the, the approximate description. Just give us the name of anybody. We called them and phoned them and said, we would like you to run for precinct chairman. They said, what's precinct chairman? We said, we don't have time to tell you. So just run for it. And after you're elected, if you're elected, we'll tell you what it is. 
They said, how do we run? I said, we'll get five of your friends to write your name. And you and five other friends just write your name in. So the election was the next Tuesday, two days later. And so we did that. And every single person we contacted who did that, and that was a lot of people, every single person except one, one, and became a precinct chairman. They didn't know what it was, but they had become one. Uh, I was the chaplain, as I indicated, and I would give the opening prayer. We got to the next meeting, and it was stunning. Here was about 100 new people who'd never been there on fire for Jesus. This time, when I finished my prayer, instead of the usual, like that. Instead of this time I finished the prayer, the place exploded. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. And the so-called moderates of the party were there were completely blown away looking around. It was that simple. Five people wrote their names in. Now, I want to encourage you to run for office. We're going right to Ammon Ross. Ammon, tell us where you live. Give us a one or two minute biographical sketch of who you are. And uh, you and I have had the privilege. I've interviewed you on my podcast. You've interviewed me on yours. But Ammon, you're going to give people the actual logistics handles of how to run for office in this very exciting time. Ammon Ross, we turn it to you. Yeah, thank you so much. Appreciate that. It's always great hearing from David and Jim and Rosemary. Thank you for all that you are doing uh, just to make a kingdom generational impact. So my name is Eamon Ross. Uh, tell, what I'll do is I'll tell you in the next 15 minutes a little bit about myself uh, and then a little bit about kingdom and politics and as well as uh, what's going on that we're seeing in the current political climate today. So I, my, I'm originally from Colorado. My, this is my wife and three daughters. Uh, we, we lived in Oklahoma for 17 years and now are currently in Northern California. So Jim, like you, you know, we kind of ran towards the fire here. And it has been an unbelievable experience. We are seeing God. Look, we've heard a lot today about all the things that are going wrong, but I want to share a little encouragement and I'll share a few stories of incredible ways that we're seeing God work in pastors as well as believers' hearts across the country when it comes to running for office. And before we get started, I do want you to know, like, if you want to know how to make a transformation outside the four walls of your church in your local community, it's to get involved in politics. There's no better way to know how to serve the needs of your school board than by going and meeting with your school board members. And, and don't go there and yell at them and don't go there and scream at them and demand things. We want you to go and build a relationship. Go, with, go meet your city council members, build a relationship. It's so valuable to have influence and build influence when you don't need it. We need more people across the country doing that. So my journey, I was in the business world for 20 years. I'm on a half business, about seven years ago, I'm on a half business, half mission trip to China. And I'm walking along the Great Wall, quietly praying to myself. And I've, I've never had this experience before or since, but it was kind of one of those thunderbolt and lightning moments you read about in the Bible where God speaks. And he said, Amen, you think too small, you don't think generationally. And I was instantly in tears, completely overcome with emotion uh, not really the thing that you want to hear the time that God speaks to you like that. But I came back to the States and I'm getting coffee with one of my best friends and I'm telling him this story. And he says, well, what do you think that means? And I said, you know, Kevin, I've been praying about it for the last week. And for some reason, I feel like God wants you and me to put our heads together, to put godly leaders in positions of authority at the state and national level. And he just stares at me and he said, Amen, don't tell anybody this, but I think God's calling me to run for governor be my campaign manager. And I started laughing. I said, Kevin, that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard. 
I don't like politics. I don't care about politics. I've never done anything but vote. And he said, me neither. So fast forward a couple months and I walked away from the business world to run his campaign for governor of Oklahoma. We had a 10 person primary. Um, you know, I have no political background at all. I'm not a poli sci or an attorney. But what I did is I do have the gift of hiring people much smarter than myself. So I did over 150 interviews with uh, campaign consultants all over the country, took tons of notes, hired my team. And in that 10 person primary, we made it to the top two out of a half a million votes. We made it by 2400 votes. And then we won the runoff election and then we won the general election. And this is a picture of my team here in the inauguration. So now he's the governor of Oklahoma. But, you know, during that process, Kevin and I realized how many pastors and how much the body of Christ, both in Oklahoma and all the surrounding states, had their heads in the sand when it came to all these decision making and, and the leaders and the legislation. They had no idea what was going on and they didn't care to know. And it was really disheartening. And so what we did is we, I took a step back. Kevin had asked me to be the chief strategy officer for Oklahoma. And I said, you know what? I think God's calling me to do something else. And so what we did is I got a group of subject matter experts and we sat down and scripted a curriculum. And so think about Dave Ramsey for politics. Okay. And our goal is to engage the body of Christ all across the country. And we're trying to inspire them, educate them and prepare them both to run for office as well as work on campaigns. Now, our short-term mission in the 2022 and 2023 cycle is to get a thousand churches to commit at least one person to school board. And I wanna tell you, it is going incredible. I'll share a story about that here in a minute, um, but people are eyes wide open now. They understand how important it is to engage. And we're really excited to share that. Now, our long-term mission, and I want you to get this, our long-term mission at Kingdom and Politics is to raise up 100,000 believers to run for office in 10 years. Now, when Kevin and I started, we didn't know anything. On day one, we sat down and wrote out 150 vocabulary words because we both had terrible fifth grade civics knowledge, okay? So you don't have to know anything about the space you're going into. You just have to learn how to speak the language. And so that's how we started. Now, I want you to know, God is a God of generations, right? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All these verses talk very clearly about that. And the problem is, as a body of Christ, for the last 60 years, we've completely abdicated our responsibility to, um, to lead in the political space. And we have to start thinking strategically. You know, I had a church recently come to me in California, and they said, hey, we have over 20 school boards in our county. And can you help us? We'd like to run one person for each school board. I said, I'd love to do that. So I came in and I talked to their 20 senior leaders and I said, listen, are you friends with any other pastors in this county? And they said, of course we are. I said, reach out to them, share this vision with them. And then instead of running one person for each school board seat, let's run three or four so that automatically we can come in and not just have one vote on a school board, but we can take it over and then bring a, a kingdom minded biblical worldview to that seat. And so now in that county, we'll be running about 80 people for school board. We have to start thinking strategically because here's the fight that's going on right now. Snapchat, they are trying to weaponize the 13 to 24 year olds and create snaptivists, okay? We are not doing enough to raise up the younger generation and guide them in what even a biblical worldview looks like, let alone to engage and, and fight for what that worldview should be. Now, as you just heard David talk about, three out of four believers don't even vote, okay? And that's super disturbing because there's over 550,000 elected offices in the United States. 
550,000 elected offices in the United States, ranging from school board to president. Now, 70% of county, city, and local school board elections went uncontested in 2020. So we all that means you just have to show up, put your name on the ballot, and you're good to go. Sorry, we're having some, some Zoom issues here. Um, now there's 3,000 counties in the country, which means there's 3,000 sheriffs. We're targeting a lot of sheriff seats across the country. There's over 14,000 school boards that have between three and 15 people on them, okay? They, get, they, they control over $600 billion, and that was before the multiple, multiple billions of dollars that got dumped in during COVID. There's a huge amount of money at stake here and a lot of control. And there's over almost 20,000 municipal governments, so that's city councils and mayors. Now, as I go all over the country speaking and meeting with churches and pastors, there's an attitude out there, you know, that's so what? God's got it, okay? The body of Christ has created an atmosphere where apathy is clean and engagement is dirty. Now, I want that to set in for a second. Apathy is clean and engagement is dirty. Now, I was at a conference uh, just a little while back in uh, California State Rep. Senator Grove. It was a pastor's conference. There's 700 pastors there. And she gets up there and she's holding the microphone and she looks at the pastors and she says, stop calling me. Stop emailing me. Get off your butts and come down to the state capitol. You're the only group of people that never come down here. The abortion lobby comes down here. The atheists of America come down here. And she goes on to list a few other groups. But she said, we have sat on the sidelines as ungodly legislation has been written and implemented. We haven't been at the table and now we're on the menu. Now, we can talk a little bit about why the church has abdicated its space or responsibility in the political space. But as we heard David say earlier, Proverbs 29.2, when the righteous thrive, the people rejoice. When the wicked rule, the people groan. So are you tired of groaning yet? You know, and, and as I'm having these conversations, I hear people tell me, well, you know, they use Romans 13.1 as a reason they're not getting involved. Let everyone be subject to governing authorities. <clears throat> now, here's the deal. We live in a republic. So the people that God establishes as authorities, guess what? They're the people that raise their hand and say, I'll do it. Okay, so that's the, if you want to be somebody who God's established, you just have to say, I'll do it, Lord. Now, like I said earlier, buy your public servants a cup of coffee, start building a relationship with them, raise up the leaders in your church who will call, are called to public office. I was with a pastor, we we're in the green room, and he, um, I asked him, I said, how many people in your church have been called to run for public office? And he's like, I have no idea. I said, well, when you get out there, why don't you ask them from 10 years old until today, how many of you have been drawn to, thought about a Holy Spirit nudging towards a run for public office? So we did that. And over 30% of the, um, the, the congregation raised their hands. This happens all over the country. And yet we're not doing anything to steward the hearts of those leaders in the church that we should be raising up for public service. And then take your biblical worldview and put it into action. So Kingdom of Politics is a nonpartisan program. It's online video training for how to run for office and how to work on campaigns. We never talk about Republican or Democrat. We don't even talk about left or right. We talk about biblical worldview or non-biblical worldview. Now, one of the questions I get a lot is, well, how am I supposed to go work in this you know, space with all these people that I don't agree with? And, and you know, I, I just I, I can't stand how they feel about this topic or that topic. And I always tell them, you know, WWDD. What would Daniel do? So when Daniel, you know, he's a slave, right? In the Bible, he was a eunuch. He was 
um, brought into a culture that um, was completely different from the culture of his own. But what he did was he worked with excellence and they could find nothing wrong and no dereliction of duty in his work. Well, God used that to raise Daniel up to become the second most powerful person in the world at that time. Do you think that Daniel liked everything that was going on in the Babylonian government? Do you think that he agreed with all the things that were going on? No, he showed up and he worked with excellence. Now, here's the consequences of doing nothing. That you all are seeing it happen right now. We just talked about it when Jim mentioned uh, bank accounts getting shut down. It's not going to be much longer before the name of Jesus becomes hate speech or before your church can't receive online donations. This is coming if we don't get involved as the body of Christ. Now, you ever wonder what could happen if you go get involved? I want to tell you a quick story about my friend Mel Ponder, okay? He was a small business owner, Destin, Florida, never really drawn or interested in politics, but just felt a nudging of the Holy Spirit that he's supposed to run. So he ran for office. It was an unpleasant experience. Uh, his opponents attacked him. You know, he was afraid it was going to hurt his business, but he kept going, kept going, and he won. Well, a couple months later, guess what happens? A strip club from the East Coast has a chain of strip clubs. They want to, um, they get, try to get the permits to put one in Destin, Florida. Well, Mel doesn't want this in his backyard. So he brings together all the leaders of faith in the community and they come together and create a plan and they buy the building that the strip club is going to go into. Now they can't come. There's no other location really in that area that works for them. And so what they did is then they took that building and they serve all of the underserved people in the community and they hand out backpacks and food to all those families. That's the kind of thing that can happen. You never know how God is going to use your win or your loss. Now, when we created our curriculum, we found four reasons why believers aren't running for office. The first one is the fear, okay? And so during the curriculum, we address the three fears, the fear of the unknown, and we really dismantle like how scary this idea is. Um, it's not. It's showing up, blocking and tackling, and making good decisions along the way. Um, and then the fear of success what, what if I do run for school board or mayor or city council? Can I, you know, can I even do the job? And we connect the people that we coach and win to other organizations that have already solved this. They'll teach you how to bring in biblical worldview stuff, um, legislation into that office. And then the fear of failure. You know, nobody wants to be the, you know, the, the dog that caught the parked car, right? Um, and, and listen, we, we walk you through that. You don't have to worry about the fear. That's the enemy's number one way to keep you out of this. Now, the lack of training. There's just not, there's really no kingdom-minded biblical worldview training for how to run for office. And then the lack of mentorship and the lack of community. And so what we do is after we take everyone through the training, we do group Zoom coaching so that they can get advice for their campaigns. Now, we all know the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How is God's will on earth going to happen if we're not bringing the kingdom to earth? Okay. I want you guys to know that we just need people to step up. Here's some of our subject matter experts. These are some of the people that have contributed. They've ran, there's over 200 years of campaign experience on here from school board to president of the United States. Um, and then Look, this training, we, we really are the kind of the Matthew 10, 16 part of the sermon, okay? Uh, you know, wise as a serpent, gentle as a dove. We're teaching the wise as a serpent side of it. And this is one of the slides that we use with most of our uh, candidates because with Christians running for office, they always feel some obligation to get up there and, you know, put 10 Bible verses on their campaign website or get up there and preach all the time. Look, we're, we don't need that, okay? We, we need you to actually 
run and run a solid race and then run the race to win and, and then bring godly legislation to that office. We have to be wise in the way that we approach this. Now, we have a podcast, as Jim mentioned, Kingdom of Politics. Uh, we, we've interviewed tons of congressmen, governors, um, you know, P, uh, Alliance Defending Freedom, it, uh, leaders that are out there in the, in the world, godly leaders that are already fighting the good fight that you can get inspiration from. Now, this is a quote from Abraham Lincoln, and I hope that you really take this one to heart. The philosophy of the school in one generation will be the philosophy of the uh, government in the next. And we are seeing that today. It, this, is the, this is what's happening in the world. Now, if you only remember one thing from what I told you today, I want you to take this away. The world of politics is the next big mission field. We get so excited to send people to China or to Africa and missionaries. We need to change the way we think about the world of politics. And we need to start sending believers into this space as missionaries to bring light into a dark space. Thank you, Jim, for having me. I appreciate it. Well, Hammond, I so appreciate I so appreciate what you've shared. I want you to hold steady because we're going to come to you. I'm going to have Mario and Ned ask you some questions in a moment. Before we do that, Kyle Herman, I want you to come on right now. Kyle, uh, let me ask you, how old were you when you first ran for office? I was 21 years old. You were 21, and you ran for what position? I ran for a community planning group, which basically just advises the county government on land use and development issues in a small area of our county, of the unincorporated areas. I don't know, Tristan, if we can bring, I'm still seeing the screens uh, from Ammon right now, but if you can bring, maybe, maybe there's a thing. There we go. Okay, so Kyle, you ran at age 21. Did you win? Mm -hmm. I sure did. 5,662 votes. Who's counting? The, um, and, and by the way, the planning commissions in California are very powerful, very powerful. I, I, I can tell you many stories about when I went to try to build a church, uh, mm -hmm. what we dealt with on the planning commission. Uh, I wish Kyle would have been a member at that time. He, he was not at that point in time. Mm -hmm. So you served in that capacity at age 21. Now, you probably were born into a home that has millions of dollars. And your dad was probably governor of the state for a while. So you, so you had all that background going for you, I suppose. Is that true, Kyle? Yeah, no, not, not, not quite. I wouldn't say that. Um, I'm just a normal guy. I went to all regular schools and, you know, I grew up in a middle-class neighborhood like everybody else. I had the privilege of being Kyle's pastor and then he joined our team at Wellversed and worked with, we're extremely proud of him. And, and when we get his attention, he still works with Wellversed on a number of things. Now, Kyle, you've not only run for that one and you won, you're now running for office again. How old are you now? Uh, now I'm 24. And what are you about years. to complete as you're about to complete in uh, this week? What will you complete? Uh, my master's degree in political science. And you're running for office again. What's the office? Uh, school board. And uh, how, how many students in this particular system approximately? How many schools would you say in this particular one? Uh, this is a this is a small to mid-sized school district. Nothing like San Diego Unified. Um, I believe there's 20 to 30 schools. It's a K through eight. Um, so some elementary schools and some middle schools. Um, I'm actually blanking on how many students there are in this specific district, but it's not, it's not a particularly large one, um, but you know, definitely 20 or so schools. It's 20 schools. That's a huge district by anybody's standard, in my opinion. So how did you have the courage and the gut? We're going to say this in a couple minutes, 
but how did you have the courage to run for office? Yeah, absolutely. Um, really, it's amening everything that uh, David Barton and Ammon has already said. Like, um, it, it's basically just showing up, um, especially when it comes to the really, really low level races. Um, a lot of it is just putting your name on the ballot. My year, when I ran for the community planning group, there were nine candidates for seven spots. But before that election, there had not been an election for 14 years because um, people would resign, they would get appointed, and there wouldn't be enough candidates by the time of the election for there to actually be a ballot. Everyone would just get automatically reappointed, and then it would go on and go on and go on. And it wasn't until my year that there were enough people to actually trigger an election for the first time uh, since 2006. So really what I did is I just said, you know, I looked at the board and I said, can I do what they do? And I said, yes. So I went down to the registrar of voters um, and I put my name down for the ballot. And, you know, at that time I had been in the political sphere. So I knew some of the things about, you know, putting out signs, doing social media. And so with less than the reportable standards, which is $2,000 in California. So with less than $2,000, I got my name out there put out some of the really annoying plastic signs that you see right around the time of the elections, flooded Rancho San Diego with 50 of them. And I put my name on the big Republican mailer that goes out to um, everyone in our region. And, you know, when November came, I got sixth place out of seven. So not too bad. And so when it came to this election cycle, um, I really just in building off the skills and, you know, the mindset that I already had in 2018. You, you drove us from the airport yesterday. yesterday. Uh, and I, I, uh, I, I cannot tell, I told Rosemary, I says, I, I'm amazed how politically sophisticated, how governmentally sophisticated you have become in such a short time. Once you won, run in one race, it's amazing what a person knows after one race. Mm -hmm. And it demonstrates their, your whole language. I, I mm -hmm. sat there in awe of you. We are extremely proud of you. I want you to pray with the people listening because many of the people listening need to run for office. Then I'm going to go right to Mario and Annette for some questions. Pray for us, Kyle, if you would. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so Father God, um, we just thank you, number one, for the time that we get to live in. Uh, we don't get to choose living any earlier or any later than the time we're already in. So God, we just thank you for uh, this season and what you are doing in our world. And God, you know, some of the scripture we've already covered that when the righteous increase, the people will flourish. And so, Lord, we just pray that for all those people who have that that tug anywhere from a little tug to a strong calling that you would equip them, you would inspire them and you would lead them right down to the registrars of voters and that they would put their names on the ballots. Um, and God, as a community, as a church community, that we would encourage them, that we would walk with them. Um, and God, that, you know, for those of us already in elected office, that we would surround the newbies and that we would inspire them um, and we would encourage them and give them whatever that we can. And Lord, I just thank you again for all the people who are here on this call. And for any of them, um, I just pray that they would be inspired tonight and that they would go out and they would learn how to run. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Kyle. Uh, by the way, uh, parents and grandparents. He's single. If you have a nice daughter or granddaughter, uh, contact me and I'll be glad to, to line you up. Okay. Always here hey, to serve, Kyle. Hey, it doesn't hurt. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's go right to Mario. Mario, questions for Ammon or for, uh, for Kyle? 
Uh, thank you uh, so much, Ammon uh, and Kyle. Uh, very amazing work. Uh, Ammon, um, do you have percentages, how many races on a local basis, school board, et cetera, uh, percentages that you're able to flip that you've seen a trend um, since you started working uh, and, and encouraging uh, uh, Christians to run? Yeah, it's it. Thanks, Mario. Yeah, we. It's unbelievable. I mean, how many of these races are even go uncontested? So it's hard to say. That's a. I don't really like to say those are wins because when it's uncontested, you know, you just showed up and put your name on the ballot. But I will tell you, I'm working with a group right now, um, and they've already identified and vetted over 600 candidates for school board and city council in three states. And we're doing, we're taking them all through our online training and then doing group coaching with them. You know, we teach them how to fundraise, how to build a message, um, all the things that you need to do, all the digital marketing. And it is unbelievable. I mean, we're doing that with six congressional races as well right now. And I will tell you that there is no better time to run for office than right now. And if you're afraid, go sit down with one of your, you know, school board members and, and, and get to know or what, or city councilors or your mayor. These are not, these people are not super special or amazing in any capacity, okay? They're just normal people that said yes and they're trying to do a job. Um, do you or part of your team come out uh, to do pastors conferences on this? Um, uh, we work in Florida and uh, love to have some of your team here. Yeah, we, so I've been working with Family Research Council. Uh, we've done three events. We did one in Virginia and two in North Carolina recently. And in those three sessions, trained over 500 people how to run for office. Excellent. Uh, two last questions. Uh, if someone is interested, I'm sure you have all the materials. What about some of the races that will require some funding? Are there organizations out there that might help a good Christian conservative candidate? Yeah, that's a really good question. So this group that I told you that has vetted the 600 candidates, they have a 501c4. So after someone goes through the training and they put in the work, this C4 is giving to each of those campaigns. Can you give your website and how people can contact you again? You bet. So it's www.kingdominpolitics.com, kingdominpolitics.com. And we have a little gift for everybody listening here. If you go to go.kingdominpolitics.com, you can download. Um, uh, we have a download for you as a give, free gift. My last question, uh, we're part of Latino Coalition for Israel. We do a lot of work with government in Latin America. Uh, there's an organization, they're actually in D.C. that does about the same thing as you do, Christian Center for Public Life. Are you familiar with them? With German Chica? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, and actually, we're in the process of trying to get our program translated into Spanish. Um, it's it's a fairly robust project, but uh, we're, we're working with four presidential candidates in Latin American countries right now. Excellent, because I was going to connect you, but you're already connected. You're well well ahead of the curve on many, many things. Thank you so much. Back to you. Yeah, thanks, Mario. Uh, Ned, do you have any questions for Eamon or and even Kyle? I do have some questions, and I suppose either could answer them. One, uh, Eamon, I'm friends with Mel Ponder. He's actually in my district. I proudly voted for him for state rep uh, when he won. And I got to see firsthand some of what he went through in running. It was uh, it was not for the faint of heart in certain ways. But 
boy, what a courageous and, and awesome man he is. So here's my question for either for either of you. Um, how important are party politics when you're running for office? And then also where it matters, uh, how does one navigate this party politics? How do you get involved with the party? What are some basic steps? Could you just kind of, either of you speak to that? Kyle, would you like to start and I can? Sure, absolutely. Um, you know, whether whether you like it or not, uh, we do live in a party system. And so there are very, very dominant parties going on right now. And so your theories about whether or not that should be the case uh, can be saved for another time. Um, you know, right now, it is very important to get involved in a party structure. They do have a lot of ways to push out the message. They'll have endorsed candidates. And so they'll put your name up on the website. They'll put your name on um, uh, a mailer, like I mentioned. And one of the ways to get involved is basically to go on the website and see what kind of meetings they have. Here in San Diego, we have a very robust uh, party structure for both parties. Um, and there are ways to get involved on a monthly basis. And now that I'm in the political world, there are events to go to you know, multiple times a week, uh, there are tons of different ways to get involved and meet people, shake hands. And sometimes, you know, as we've talked about with getting coffee with your representatives, that is honestly one of the best ways to meet the people who are in politics is going to a party event. And you might end up running into mayors, city councilors, or assemblymen or congressmen. And that could be, you know, the start to some really incredible conversations. And I'll just add to that, but what he just said, go to the meetings, go to the meetings, go to the meetings. And when you walk away, make sure you have at least 20 business cards that you've collected and you've handed out 30 or 40. But always go to the meeting, get acquainted with as many people, work the room as much as you can and get acquainted because many of those will be people who will network with you to help make a campaign possible. And ahead, I, I would say that, look, if you're running for school board, um, the, the, the large percentage of those races are nonpartisan, okay? They're, they're, it's not a party um, driven race. Some states do have um, school board races that are political um, uh, party in nature, but for the most part, they're not. Um, it, as you start to go up the ticket, um, they do become partisan. And, you know, I will say the largest, gr fastest growing party in the country right now is no party preference. And so, you know, in some areas, I think it is really important to engage with your party in other areas. You know, look, both parties are really struggling. There's there's not a lot of vision. There's not a lot, you know, they can they can be toxic. And so I think you need to use wisdom in, 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 in how much you engage at the higher levels with the party. Because, you know, look, if you're just getting into this for the first time, you know, you haven't kissed the ring. And so in some areas of the country that matters to people and others, it doesn't. So I would just go to those, you know, network, meet people and then tread cautiously, because depending on where you live, um, you know, the, the party could have a different level of influence. Excellent. Thank you. That that uh, answers my question. I'm sure helps many people who may be inspired or considering running, because I tell you what, listen to David Barton's uh, talk. I, I, I was shocked at how on the local level turnout is so profoundly low. So I imagine if one had a certain level of influence or connections and a willingness to go and knock on doors, that there may be some real low hanging fruit on the local level for us to grab a hold of in the church. 
Um, so it's kind of a follow-up question to that. What are some of the most effective strategies on the low-level local uh, races that you've seen be successful? The number one thing you can do is on a lower-level race is buy a new pair of tennis shoes and go knock doors. And that is by far the best way to approach uh, a low-level race. Excellent. Well, I have no more questions. That uh, the answer is everything I had. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please read the show notes for additional details if you would like a copy of the book or resources mentioned. Remember that WellVersed is a 501c3 tax-deductible nonprofit organization. We rely on your support and partnership. Thank you for listening to the WellVersed podcast. For more information, please go to www.wellversedworld.org.